0: Hi, I'm Valerie Moizel. Over 20 years ago, I co-founded my company with a creative spark, an entrepreneurial spirit, and a fearless attitude. I've long dreamed of sharing a space where I can interview successful women and hear them talk from their hearts about how they found their way. What I'm learning is it's not such a linear path. We all have what I call the four S's. The initial spark, the snag which trips you up, the shift that helps you find your way to the final S, success. No, not always in that order. And yes, sometimes the steps repeat. Together, we will learn from each other and be inspired. These are women who rule. This is she dynasty. Hello everyone and welcome to a very exciting episode of She Dynasty on the Road. My colleague Haley Stanfield and I will be traveling to San Francisco, California and we will be sitting down with three incredible women who rule for the first time. We are actually going to be recording outside of our usual studio space. So apologies in advance if the sound quality is not what you're used to, but let's get started. So today we're going to be talking to Barbie Siegel. She is the CEO of Zeno Group, and I'm here with Haley Stanfield. So Haley, I'd love to hear what you would like to learn from her today. Well, I'd love to know how she just got into the position she's made it to today. She obviously has had a great career, and I'm really curious to know if she always knew she was going to do this, and if she had any mentors that she would attribute her success to. We will learn about all those things today. Great, I'm excited. Hi, Barbie. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to do this podcast. So happy to be here. Thank you. It's incredible. This is our first time taking She Dynasty on the road. So I was very nervous about it. But I think we got lucky, and so far we're doing okay.
1: Well, I'm glad to be your first, and this is an exciting week in San Francisco with Dreamforce right outside the door.
0: So, Barbie, you are the CEO of a global company. Do you ever stop and think what it means to other women who dream
1: about getting to the top? I do sit back at times when I walk into the office, whether it's New York or Chicago or London, and I see all these people working really hard, and I think these people are here working hard because they believe in something that I created and these are people who are raising their families and paying their mortgages and then I think about all the amazing companies like Salesforce that trust us with their business and I do pinch myself from time to time but I'm also very cognizant about the trust that all these people put in us and it can change in a day and that you have to work hard every single day. Of course.
0: I hope you realize what an inspiration you are to everybody in this room. When they were reading about you, they were just like,
1: well, ask for this and ask her that. They were so excited
0: to have questions, so I've, I've incorporated some of their questions into today's podcast.
1: Thank you. I wanted just to add one other funny story. I have a lot of little stories. When I would go to our Chicago office, the head of the Chicago office, who's also a good friend of mine, in the beginning would say, you know that when you're coming, all the women like pick out their outfits, and they want to look just right, and they are all looking at you from head to toe. And it's not really about what I wear, but it was a moment that I realized that I am a role model, and I'm just a regular girl making a living too, and I'm in the weeds with the clients and all that, but it was that moment where I realized that you are influencing other people, and your moves are carefully watched. Of course. That is a responsibility I take very seriously.
0: And it doesn't hurt that you have incredible fashion sense as well. Thank you. So we met a few months back, and you were at my office, and you used a word to describe yourself and your company that kind of touched me at my core, because it's a word that I've been using for the last probably 20 years to describe myself. So the word is fearless and um, I would really like to understand what it means to be fearless in business from your perspective because I think you have a little bit of a different take on it than I do.
1: I think being fearless in business today is more relevant than ever. I just came from a conference where the entire topic was about companies taking a stand for what they believe in, and I think being fearless is not being able to speak up And Speak Your Mind, and it is all around us today, which is, I've had fearless at Zeno for almost 10 years, but it's about being true to who you are, and it might be a little cliche, but it is about going out of your comfort zone and not being afraid to say yes more than you say no, and something we say at Zeno a lot is, well, we'll just figure it out. So for me, fearless is personal, it's professional, and at Xeno, it is the glue that holds us all together. We all sort of rally around that word and everything it means, and there are so many meanings to it, both for us as an agency, but also for our clients, helping them push the boundaries and provoking them And I think that's the most important role we can play as outside consultants, getting our clients to think differently. Whether they will go all the way there or not, at least we're pushing them a little bit. And I think if you look at some of the most successful companies today, they are in many ways companies that have challenged the status quo. And I think that's what Fearless ultimately is.
0: I agree. Is Fearless a concept that you brought to the company or something that kind of existed that you helped kind of bring to life?
1: Well, because it's just us girls sitting here, I can say that Fearless is completely my creation. Um, when I started Zeno nine years ago, I sat down with the then leadership team, and some of those people are still with me, and we said, the world doesn't need another PR firm, so what are we going to be? And so we took on this challenger brand mentality. And then one day, my daughter, who's now 20, came home from sleepaway camp with a Fearless bracelet, and I said... Mallory, who gave you that bracelet? And she said, well, the girl in the bunk above me had dropped down. And she was wearing it. And I said, can I have it? And from that day forward, I started wearing, as I am today, this fearless bracelet. And it was the perfect articulation of what we as an agency needed to do to advance. Zeno had been a small, unknown conflict shop of Edelman. It had no brand. Clients weren't necessarily coming at us. And so Fearless Pursuit of the Unexpected became our North Star, and as I said, it is the glue that that holds us together. So I am very proud of that. When I spoke earlier about seeing everybody pouring their heart and soul into the company, it's because they believe in this vision and mission and where we're going.
0: Understood. And I know this is a podcast and people can't see, but you are indeed wearing a bracelet that says Fearless on it in big, bold letters. Do you wear it every day?
1: So I wear it Monday through Friday. I don't wear it on the weekends. You're not fearless on the weekends? Well, I am, but I like to signify to my husband and children when they're around that I'm actually home. I love that. So I don't wear it on the weekends. Everybody needs to take a break, no matter how fearless you are. Absolutely. And do other people on your team wear it? So every Xeno employee, and we we call ourselves Xenoids, receives a fearless bracelet on their first day not everybody wears it as much as i do but lots of people wear it and it's an incredible conversation piece i can't tell you how many meetings with prospects or new clients i've gone into and i end up taking my bracelet off and giving it to them
0: okay so before we get into too much detail i want to hear about you as a child i want to understand um, were you destined to become a ceo of a global company is that something that you could have predetermined your personality back then Tell us about young Barbie.
1: So um, that's a very uh, emotional part of my life. I'm the youngest of three daughters, raised uh, mostly in Brooklyn and then New Jersey by a very, very strict mother, Jewish upbringing. And the only thing my mother wanted for us girls was to be three, independent, able to stand on your own two feet. And she would say to us, I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to be your mother. She was very strict. Um, February, she died four years ago of Alzheimer's. So uh, as my husband says, I carry a piece of her in me every day, but she really embodied fearless in many ways. And she was not perfect. And I didn't agree with all of her decisions, but It was just somehow inculcated in me to do my best. I was a very good student. I was never satisfied with anything but an A. I went to Barnard, which is an all women's school connected to Columbia University in New York. And on our first day at Barnard, the then president, Ellen Futter, said, you are Barnard women, you can do anything. So that was my upbringing. My father, uh, neither of my parents went to college but they were very smart. Was your mother a stay-at-home mom, or did she have a career or a job? So my mother stayed at home until I think I was in kindergarten, and then she worked in fashion, and she was an executive assistant to some very high-level fashion executives. Uh, One was a company called Wamsutta; they make sheets, and then she was the executive assistant to a then very high-profile fashion designer, Eleanor Brenner. And she outfitted uh, several of the first ladies, including Betty Ford and Nancy Reagan. And my mother was really Eleanor Brenner's, sort of like a chief of staff in a way. And she would greet the first ladies and she was very involved in that world. And so she did go back to work. And my father was a peddler. Uh, He built his business in New York going door to door. And of course, this is before the internet. He would buy whatever his customers needed on the Lower East Side of Manhattan and then deliver it and he would get money on installment and he his days were like 6 30 in the morning till three o'clock so he would be home before her and he would start dinner and in many ways and in hindsight they were a very modern family my father really believed in my mother's career never made her feel like you're not home he would make dinner i learned how to make dinner and so those were very good role models, and my father worked so hard, and I never understood how he could possibly have raised us and given us everything we needed on a peddler's salary, but he did. He paid for my education to Barnard, no financial aid. And my mother, I now remember, had a she had a treadmill, and she would wake up at 4.30 in the morning to be on the treadmill, and I guess like mother, like daughter, because I'm up at to get to the gym at 5.30. Of course you
0: are, because everybody who's a boss is just the same way.
1: So I had a very nice childhood, but a
0: very strict upbringing. So that you feel like that really helped pave the way for some of your success.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think a lot of it. And my sisters and I were all very different, but we're all very competitive and very ambitious. You know, I don't remember my mother ever saying it specifically, but I know that she wanted us to be successful in whatever we wanted to do. It wasn't about going to college and finding a husband. Right. So clearly,
0: you've made her proud.
1: I hope so. Unfortunately, she did not get to see my, this part of my life, but I think so. That's what people tell me anyway, who know her. Perfect. Okay, so your first job out of college. Well, I really wanted to go into advertising, but I couldn't find a job. I went on lots of interviews, and back then you needed to have an MBA. So my brother-in-law introduced me to a PR firm that he had been working with at his company, and I went for an interview, but I did not get the job. And so I decided to do a direct mail campaign on an electric self-correcting typewriter, and I sent out letters. As I was sending out the letters, one day I pulled the letter out, and there was a typo in it. And in those days, you couldn't go back once you took it out. And I was like, oh. And then a little bird came into my head, and I'm not one of these psycho people at all, and said, you know what? That might be the letter. Redo it. I did. And several days later, when I came home, my dad said that they had called And I went for an interview, and I got hired on the spot, right as an account executive. And my first day on the job, I was on a train to Camden, New Jersey, to the Campbell Soup Company. That was your first client? That was my first client. And I ended up staying there seven years. Beautiful. So
0: what was your first spark? We talk about the four S's
1: on She Dynasty. Looking back, when I was in college, I was both editor of the college paper as well as president of the student body. And I really wanted to be president of the student body. I don't think I've ever said this to anyone because I wanted to give a commencement address. And I thought that would be an amazing experience. So I guess when you think about it, you know, editing the school paper and public speaking, I love to write. And I remember that I did a paper for my political science class. And I signed it, poly sci, Polly Sy, P-O-L-L-Y Sy, and I think the assignment was like a memo or something. And the professor at that time said, "Wow, is that your idea? That's really great." And when I think back, I guess I had those creative leanings. I always loved to write. Um, at one time, I thought I might want to be a lawyer, but I didn't think it would be creative enough.
0: So, in your pre-interview, you described a story where you got feedback on a day that you went on a job interview and the feedback was that you wore too much makeup
1: this is actually one of my favorite stories so thank you for letting me talk about it so i was at that first agency and i decided that i wanted to play on a much bigger field that i didn't want to be at a small agency anymore i wanted to be at a big global agency so i went on an interview with this agency who is still famous today And I was wearing that day an orange linen suit that I really loved, this bright orange color, which happens to be one of my favorite colors. It's in my dress today. And I had the interview, and it was a good interview. And when I got back, the HR people called and said, you know, they really liked you, but they think you wear too much makeup. My gosh. And I often tell this story to some of the younger people I talk to at Zeno, the interns and others, because in hindsight, I mean, I don't think you know it when you're going through it that you're making an important decision or statement, but when you reflect back. And at that moment, I thought to myself, you know what? They are a big, famous agency, and it would be a next step for my career, but that's not the place for me. And I do think, getting back to being fearless and today's world and being in business you do have to be true to who you are and the reason I felt it wasn't right for me is a I don't really know that I was wearing too much makeup but I like to wear makeup and it is something that I learned from my mother she always wore a full beautiful face of makeup she was very glamorous and I love clothes I just love having fun with it that's who I am as a brand. That was an important lesson, and in hindsight, I'm so glad I did. And it reminds me today that there are things in your career you will compromise on and in your life, but I think you have to decide where you're going to draw the line and not, not go too far and compromise yourself. And while that may seem like a small thing, I did not want to show up and be someone that I'm not. Right. Do you think I'm wearing too much makeup? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I do
0: not. Thank you. When you first started in PR, was there much female leadership? And how has the landscape changed?
1: I have been very fortunate. I have either worked for women or with men who are very supportive of women. That first agency was owned by a man and a woman. And I learned so much from Lee McGrath. At the time, her son was quite ill. And as a result, I was given much more responsibility than I was ready for to help the business run while she was with him. And then, of course, Richard Edelman has always been the greatest advocate of women and women in business. And I worked for Marsha Silverman at Ogilvy. So I have had a lot of female role models, and I also have two older sisters who have always been in business. So I've, I've been surrounded by a lot of positive role models and people who have never said to me, you can't do this.
0: PR seems to be a profession where it's a bit more, has been more accepted to have female leadership. So you've been lucky in that perspective. Definitely. Can you tell us about any mentors that help propel you or level you up?
1: I guess I have to come back to Richard, Richard Edelman, who owns Daniel J. Edelman Holdings, of which we are a company. And I know this sounds so expected, but, You know, Richard came to me now almost 10 years ago asking me to come back and run Xeno, which at the time was 9 or 10 years old. And over the course of the years together, we do sit and have conversations about the business. I remember one dinner, he said, we were using Blackberries back then, he said, when do you turn your BlackBerry off? And he said, when do you get home at night? And I said, well, it sort of depends if I'm seeing a client, and he was like, Well, maybe you shouldn't go have dinner with the clients. You should just have a drink and get home. And all throughout our years working together, we do really have this mentor relationship. And I know when he's trying to teach me something because he'll either say it or it's just a moment. And he does it in such an amazing way. It's not you have to do this and he calls me bar, but bar, think about this or think about that or this is a moment. And whenever I sit with Richard, I think, there are people in this world who would kill to do what I do. I can go see him anytime I want. I can talk to him about anything. And it's not just about business. It's about family and life. And he's gone through some life changes, and we talk about that. So I think you have to go to work every day and be inspired by people around you, either people you report to or your peers. And I do wake up every day. I don't think about Richard every single day, but I'm very proud to work for him. And I guess the other piece of that that I have, because it's a family-owned business, I am carrying inside me a vision that his father had. If you go to Edelman's offices in Chicago, there is a museum to Dan Edelman, and I was there a couple of weeks ago, and there are some, you know, wonderful artifacts. But Dan had a dream to have a second agency. At the end of his life, he knew that I was coming in to take it over, but we were 55 people then. Today, we're over 500. And I often say to Richard and to people in the agency who've been with me a long time, what would Dan say? So, there is that. I guess that's what it is when you work for a family that added responsibility that I am carrying around something that was so important to Dan. And when Richard comes into any of our offices, he talks about his father. But in terms of being, you know, the mentorship, I would say, Richard, and I would also say my sisters. I mean, I've learned a lot from both of them. They've been there for me in different periods of my life. They're six and 10 years older than me, so that is you know, quite a difference and we're able to talk about experiences and you know, there have been moments in each of our lives when we've called each other up or we've needed each other, so.
0: Did he ever tell you that you've messed up? Did he ever come down hard on you for
1: a choice you made? Richard has always been supportive. Um, I don't think I've messed up that badly, but there are Things that happen in any business where he'll say, "Bar, why don't you think about this? Or maybe you can do something differently. But we have delivered a beautiful product with double-digit growth every year, and it has far surpassed his dreams and my dreams. But with that comes a heavy responsibility because I think for any of us in, in our career, whether you're a CEO or not, you get a certain amount of success, and you don't want to get so excited that you then mess it up. And I think my strategy has been slow and steady and there's no race to the finish line and always appreciate the moment that you have and, and what you've been given and do good in that moment and not be racing you know, to the next thing. It's like when you get a new client, I'm sure there are some agencies where, well, we've got this, let's go sell them another, another half a million dollars. And my view is do the work well and everything else will follow.
0: So Barbie, let's talk about one of the major shifts in your career. When you first got the job as CEO of Zeno, did you get a phone call one day? How did that happen?
1: This is another good story, so thank you for asking me. I was sitting at my desk at Ogilvy, and Richard called and said, come have breakfast with me. And we had stayed in touch over the years, and we sat down and had breakfast, and he said, come be the CEO. I'm serious about Zeno. Let's take it to the next level. I just got chills. (laughs) And as I'm sitting there, I thought, huh, nobody's ever asked me to be a CEO. And I never sat back and said, I want to be a CEO one day. It just never even occurred to me. So I got back to my desk and I called a friend of mine who I had worked with at Zeno and Edelman. And I said, Bridget, I have to tell you what just happened. Richard Edelman just asked me to be CEO of Zeno. And Bridget was like, what's your question? (laughs) She said, the most famous man in PR has asked you to run a company for him. What's your question? Okay,
0: so obviously you decided to accept the job as CEO of Zeno. Did you feel like you knew what you were doing? Did you feel like you knew how to be a CEO?
1: So I accepted the job, and I did not know how to be a CEO, and I did not know the first thing. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna buy a lot of books about leadership and being a CEO. You know, biographies of these great, at the time, mostly men. And then I thought, you know what? It's just gonna confuse me. I'm not gonna read one book. I'm gonna go in, I'm gonna be who I am, I'm gonna really hope the people at Zeno accept me, quirks and all, and I do have a few, and figure it out as I go. And that's what I did and using all the experience that I had gathered in my own intuition and My own smarts. What was your title before when you were at Ogilvy? So at Ogilvy I also accepted a job that I did not know how to do and that was also a build job I was the global practice head for consumer PR at Ogilvy PR and when I took that job on I had never a had a global role or be run a practice so one of the reasons why I, I knew I could do this job as CEO is because I knew what it was to build something from ground zero.
0: So when you took over, you just mentioned one of your goals was to take Zeno from a more unknown entity to one that everybody in the industry noticed and to make it an agency that brands were excited to work with. That's kind of a giant ask. And I want to understand what was your strategy? How did you accomplish that?
1: So the agency had been around probably eight or nine years. I think it's important to note there had been almost as many CEOs before me. So no CEO had been there for much longer than a year. Did that scare you when you decided to take the job? It didn't scare me, but I knew that I was walking into something. And another way to look at it is the bar was very low. So there was a leadership team in place. And I remember sitting in the conference room at our first leadership meeting, going back to being a challenger brand and thinking, okay, how are we going to do this? The world doesn't need another PR agency. So I decided a couple of things that we were not, we did not want to grow up to be Edelman. As great as Edelman is, we needed to go off and build our own brand and our own personality that we could not wait for them to refer us business. And we needed just to have you know, a different edge in the marketplace. And so we began to get opportunities through my network and other ways to pitch business. And we went in hungrier and more passionate than the rest. So when you got there,
0: how much did you kind of take from what already existed? Or did you just kind of throw it all away and start over?
1: When I walked into Zeno, there was a very palpable culture of collaboration and camaraderie and family, in part because it's a family-owned company, but also because this team had been through a lot together. Many CEOs had come and gone. The tech bubble had burst. And I give Richard credit for letting us fly fearless all these years. We went off and made our own brand. Not different for the sake of being different, but different in order to differentiate ourselves in the marketplace.
0: And so you decided to keep the things that were good about the company, obviously, like the culture,
1: and bring in some new ideas and values. Keep the culture, certainly myself as a female CEO, although I don't lead as a woman necessarily, but there were things that I brought, making sure it was a place where people felt they could have a life inside Zeno and outside Zeno at the time. I arrived, my daughters were young, and it was important to me that the staff could see that it's not perfect, and I will never say you can absolutely have it all, but it is doable to have a career and get home and do those other things that matter. So culture from day one was very important, and today continues to be a key strategic imperative, not a nice to do, but a must do, and we run the agency every day aligned with our core values, of which Fearless is one of them.
0: Was there a lot of pushback when you took over? Were people nervous just because it was new?
1: I think people were nervous. Some of the people who had been there a long time had been through a lot of CEOs. I think I did have to convince them. It wasn't too hard, maybe because of my personality, but it goes back to what we talked about earlier, about people believing. I needed to convince them that we have a vision and we're on a journey and we're going to get there together. How would you describe your leadership style today? That is a tough one. I think I am a strong leader. I am a compassionate leader. I don't have all the answers. I don't pretend to have all the answers. I do have a clear vision of where we want to go. I try to be patient. But most important, I wake up every single day so excited to get to work and do great work. I'm not afraid to go forward into new places, and I like bringing others along with me. And you know, I know I'm the CEO, and I know that's a heavy title, but as a leader, most of the days, I like to be one of the team. We're all doing our part. I just happen to have a little bit more experience and a little bit more insight, but at the end of the day, I like to run things not hierarchical, but we're all in it together and we all have our unique instrument to play. Mine is different than the next person's. And one of my favorite phrases that I picked up from someone else is candor with kindness. And I don't love confrontation, but I have learned in this role how important it is to be direct and not leave people guessing. But I think you can be kind in your constructive criticism, feedback, what have you.
0: So you have approximately 500 employees at Zeno. What's something that you want your team to know about you that maybe they don't already?
1: That I have doubts every day, just like they do. Not every day is perfect at Zeno. When you're in a service business, there are ups and there are downs. And there are days when inside I'm thinking, Oh God, how are we going to get through this?" Or "I can't believe that just happened." I have all the same emotions that they do. I just, on a daily basis, need to probably cover them up a little bit more, although I am very open with my emotions, because, I mean, one of the things that Dan Edelman always talked about is, you have a bad day, you have a bad moment, you lose a pitch, you pick yourself up and you go, you go on. And I think that is a really important part that I play to give people the energy to keep forging forward. And I know it's very cliche, but it is a marathon, not a sprint. So I want people to know that I don't have all the answers. And I'd be delighted for other people to have the answers as they do at Xeno. And it's important that everybody pitches in and has a voice.
0: We're going to move on to one of your snags that you mentioned in the pre-interview. So you described some of your biggest challenges in your career to be losing a pitch. Can you describe for those listening what goes into a pitch, how much work and effort it takes, how emotional it is, and what it feels like to lose? And most importantly, what do you do to inspire everyone to get back on track and how hard is that?
1: That is such a big part of our business, as you well know. We are always pitching new business while taking care of our existing clients. I can think of one pitch in particular recently, I won't name it. Uh, It was a very, very big, highly publicized pitch and we didn't win. It's hard. It's really hard. You do pour your heart and soul into it and none of us like to be rejected. And you have to separate, am I being rejected as a person or did they not like what we had or how we think? The pitches are highly competitive and since you asked what goes into it these really big pitches could be 2 weeks or 3 weeks and you're spending as much time pitching this business as you are as if they were a client right. and it's the i always say that a pitch is as much about the content you produce as the chemistry you have with the client and Nobody wins every pitch, and my husband is always reminding me of that because we don't win a pitch, I'll come home, and you're gutted because all that hard work and you did your very best, hopefully, and then you feel rejected, although that's not how the clients want to make you feel. From their point of view, they need to make the choice that's right for them, and sometimes it's really not clear to us as the agency why they made the choice they did, but they just feel something. But I do think how you lose a pitch is as important as how you win a pitch. And you win with grace and you lose with grace. And what I always say when we lose and we lose our fair share, just like every agency out there, what is important is leaving an impression in the room that the people will remember us. It's a small world, they may go somewhere else, and that we did our very best and we showed up well. And I always correspond when we lose a pitch. You know, I think it's really important to be grateful to even be invited. Because, of course, when I started Zeno, we weren't invited to any pitches. I, as a leader, can't walk in the next day with my head held low. Even though you might feel totally... I will sad. tell them that. I mean, I will be very honest when I'm just upset or sad. But I do have to walk in. We owe it to our staff and our clients. It's a new day, and let's go get the next one and take the learnings. So do you kind of sit in a room and discuss what went wrong, what you could have done
0: better, or do you just kind of move on to what's next?
1: We do try to debrief. I think that's important, and um, it's good for everybody to sort of talk it out emotionally and then move on. It's very much an emotional journey. Um,
0: The way it feels for me, it's like you've given birth and you hold up the baby and someone tells you they don't want it or it's ugly. And it's hard, you know? Sometimes it, it takes me a day or two to kind of bounce back, but you have to, for your team, obviously they look up to you because if you're strong and no big deal, guys, we'll get the next one, that energy kind of exudes out of you and helps them recover as well. So it's obviously so important as the leader to make sure that you're doing that.
1: I do think it's important to ask yourself, though, what could we have done differently? Of course. Sometimes nothing. Sometimes it could be as simple as we brought too many people into the room and we've done that before. But it's so hard because every new business pitch is different no two are alike, and it is a strategic gamble when you walk in the room, who you walk in with, the content you produce, that's the game that we're in. You have to love that part of the business, I think. And you have to be okay with
0: losing, and you have to be resilient, because if you take it too personal, You'll crumble every time and not be able to bounce back. Exactly. So I understand that creating an environment and a culture for your employees that is a bit flexible is one of Zeno's core values. Can you tell us why that's important to you and how how it's paid off for the company?
1: So one of my um, favorite expressions is that Zeno be a place where careers are built and lives are lived. And talent is at such a premium today, and even if it weren't, frankly, I think with technology, and this is a story we've all heard, you don't have to sit at your desk. And in order to attract and retain the best talent, we absolutely have to be flexible. I can give you an example. A colleague of mine who I adore, she's a senior member of our team, she came to me one day and said, I'm moving to Boulder, Colorado. And I said to her what Bridget said to me all those years ago, what's your question? And she wanted to make sure that was okay. And I said, move to China. As long as we're working together, I don't I don't really care. So we have something at Xeno called Fearless from Home. And any member of the staff can take advantage of it. Several times a month, you can decide to be fearless from home. And this actually came out of an employee survey we did where people said, you know, we get so busy, client demands, those simple things seem to fall by the wayside. The dry cleaning, the appointment at the vet, a dentist visit. And so Fearless from Home allows you to do those things or not. And the other thing I want to say that I think is really important it's not just about giving the moms freedom and flexibility. It's everybody. Mothers, fathers, single people, everybody has a life outside the office. Because I know a lot of companies are very geared toward, well we have to support the working mothers, and we certainly do, but everybody deserves to have that life uh, outside the office. So, in our business it is important to be face-to-face, but you don't have to be that way every single day. And I always say, no client has ever asked me, oh, where are you calling me from today? As long as you call and are connected, that's all that matters. So the
0: next question is the one I'm most excited to kind of learn your perspective on. And so as CEO of a large company, you probably have to make many, many very difficult decisions for the company that are probably not very popular. So I just want to understand your thinking and how you handle that.
1: I think it is based on your track record. I think if you have built up a body of trust, then they will understand and follow. We do have a very transparent culture. Every year at the end of the year, I give a major address. We call it Fiscal New Year's, and I share our numbers and our strategy, where we've done well, where we haven't. So I don't think you can show up one day having never done anything good before and make a tough decision. I think if people believe in you, they need to believe in you in the good times and in the times when you've had to make some decisions. And actually now I'm remembering, I had a conversation just last week with a very valued team member. She's amazing. She's been at Zeno for 10 years. And I said to her, just as you believed in me when I started, I need your support. And I do think there's something to be said about asking people for their support. People want to be asked. You can say, I've made such and such a decision, but I need you to help me through this journey, and together we'll get through it. And people need to look at the decisions you make holistically, not necessarily one in a vacuum. Beautiful. So now I want to talk about probably the most
0: important part of your job. You're a mom. I have two daughters. Two daughters. How old are they? 20 and 23. Beautiful. So tell me how motherhood has played a part in all this, in the rise of your career. Do you feel like you were able to balance it all?
1: So I love talking to current young mothers at Zeno now, and fathers too, because I think I can give them the perspective. I am on the other side now, seeing what happens, having spent a lifetime of being a working mother. And it never occurred to me not to work. My husband is a successful attorney, but we never even had the conversation of mine out working, and I think it goes back to my upbringing. As I always say, yes, I missed out on activities. I missed birthdays, I missed ball games. I didn't miss it all, but you cannot have it all. But I guess like my mother did with me, I wanted to be a model of what hard work is. And now I have two like my mother, independent daughters who are able to stand on their own two feet, who I do think understand what it is to work hard. I am very fortunate that I always had a husband who was so supportive of my career, so proud of me, never made me feel guilty for not being home. As I look back, I am very happy with the decisions I made. I have a very full life, and I always say to people, I have my life as a working person, whether I'm a CEO or whatever, and I'm a mommy. There's nothing that makes my heart melt more than when my 23-year-old daughter texts me as mommy. I was thinking about this the other day because I was texting with her. She's starting her own career. She has a boyfriend, and in some ways, I feel like I'm even more valued to her now than maybe when she was toddling around because we really can share life experiences and she comes home and can talk to me about work. You know, when my mother was sick, my daughter saw what it is to care for a sick parent and I never imposed my ambition on my daughters. I did not think that would be fair because I am a very ambitious person, I am very competitive, My younger daughter is a junior at Penn State and she's fearless in her own right, going off and doing different things. So one size doesn't fit all. You need to find, I think, what's really right for you and your family. So ultimately, what does success mean to you? I think success ultimately means living life to its fullest every single day. Whether you're at work, whether you're at home, life is so fragile in so many ways. It's not to be wasted. I mean, I think it's not until you're a bit older that you realize what a gift life is. And you need to make decisions that will make you happy. Make compromises, but don't compromise beyond a certain point. So I could say that success is Zeno hitting the $100 million mark or winning the next client. And we, we will do all that. But I don't think any of that matters if you're not living a happy and importantly, healthy life, and waking up every day to work with people that you really like. And Richard always says to me, are you still having fun? And I think that is a really important question and filter, and not every day is fun, but enjoy life because you only get to go around once.
0: Okay, our last question. What is your actionable advice for those listening that someday aspire to get to the top.
1: Say yes more than you say no. Go for it. Ask for what you want. Don't wait for somebody to come. If you see something you want to do, go get it.
0: Beautiful. Barbie, thank you so much for being here today. I can't express to you how much of an inspiration you are to me listening to you talk about such personal stories and about your family and just incredible. So thank you so much for being here and taking time. I know you're very busy.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I don't take lightly how you select the women who are fortunate to sit in this chair. So I'm flattered and honored and I hope people listening take even just one piece of inspiration with them.